I am joined by Jason Shapiro, a veteran trader and the founder of the Crowded Market Report. Jason, welcome to Forward Guidance. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Tell us about your background. How did you get into trading? I, I know that you somehow found your way to Hong Kong, and that's kind of where your journey started. What, what Tell us about that. Yeah, my first uh, sort of real job out of college was I worked for uh, a commercial bank in Hong Kong, HSBC, and um, just super bored. You know, it wasn't really a good thing for me, especially at 22 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think I got into it the same way that most people typically get into it, which was that there was this bull market going on and you kept hearing about it and it seemed like this sort of fun and exciting way to try and make some money. And, um, I had a friend, uh, who I played softball with, who was a, a broker and, you know, I opened up an account and I just kind of started going and then, you know, it was a bull market and, uh, I was young and, um, young and dumb and riding the bull market up and leveraging up and doing sort of typically what everybody typically does when they start in a bull market. And, you know, I made a, a bunch of money and, um, had really no way of knowing when the bull market was going to end. And when it did, I gave all that money back. <laughs> uh, I've been there. So what were some lessons that you learned? I guess when you originally were successful, you learned some lessons, but then when things go crashing down, that's when, you know, I'm sure the real learning starts. What were some of the lessons you learned in your early part of your career? So leverage is a bad thing. Over leverage is a bad thing would be the first lesson, clearly, you know. Um, and uh, everyone's a hero in a bull market. Doesn't necessarily make you a genius just because you're making money in a bull market, you know. Um, everybody's a hero during those times and uh as i was and, and and in the end you end up uh you know kind of giving it all back if you don't really learn what what you're doing but it's very hard to understand that while the bull market's going on and you're making a bunch of money you're not saying to yourself oh i don't know what i'm doing you know you're saying to yourself i'm a genius so inevitably the uh the day comes when when you learn that lesson that you're actually not a genius Right. And I associate your style, Jason, based on your work on Twitter, what you do at Crowded Market Report of kind of a kind of contrarianism, betting against against the crowd. Oh, everyone's bearish. So I'm going to go bullish. I know it's a lot more complicated than that. Is that contrarianism rooted in your early trading in Hong Kong or did you develop that style later? I think that kind of thought process is rooted in my personality and has been for a long time. Um, it took me a while to match the trading with the personality, although there was a man um, it, that I worked with. Uh, and I, once I got out of banking and I got into broking, there, there was a man there named Isaac um, who was a lot older than us um, and very experienced. And he used to, and, and you know, we were in a room where most of us were sort of in our 20s and he used to sit in the back and he was like in his 40s and he used to fade all of us. And, uh, it, it was, and at the time I'm like, Oh, this guy's a jerk. But the truth is it makes complete sense. You know, how many kids in their twenties are going to, you know, rip the market and just make money forever. The, the, the probability is they are going to lose money over time. So if you're fading that, then you have a good chance of making money. Um, and it took me a while to catch on to that, but it, it's just so obvious really in retrospect. And, um, he had an effect on me with that. Um, and over time, you know, uh, 
as I was trading and as I spent more years trading and having successes and failures and successes and failures, um, and I, I, like I said, I think I went through a very similar thing that most people go through. Got involved in the bull market, made money, lost it all. Then I said, oh, okay, it's a bear market. And I learned about shorting. Okay, so I started shorting and started shorting. And that's even worse than making money in a bull market. Making money in a bear market makes you a huge egomaniac. And then, you know, so I started shorting and making money. And then, of course, the market bottomed without me knowing. And I was shorting into it and I gave all that money back, right? Um, and then I went into the mode of, okay, let's really try to figure out what's going on here. And I read 18,000 books about fundamental analysis, technical analysis, this, that, and, and psychology of trading and all that. Um, and one thing I did do very well uh, in that process was this idea of trying to journal your trades and keep a record of your trades. And I started doing that very, very well. So over the years, I was able to then go through that and really sort of decipher um, what type of trades I was making were making money over time, not just one time, right? But over time. And what type of trades was I making that were not making money over time? And therefore, let's eliminate, obviously, the ones that are not working over time. And let's try and focus on the ones that are working over time. And what that ended up being was this whole sort of, you know, contrarian thing. Now, again, is that because that's the only thing that works? Or is that because that's what worked for me? Hard to say, right? Is my discipline better at doing contrarian type of trading because I'm a more contrarian type of person? I would argue probably yes. Um, but whatever, it worked for me. Therefore, that's what I was going to stick with. And so my process started to develop based on on that coming out of this journaling and and really trying to focus on what was working for me over time. Thanks. So yeah, journaling is really important. I actually, I wrote that down. I think it's, I, I guess the, the advantage of that is you look back and see if a trade didn't work, what was I thinking at the time? And you actually see in real time how the thesis failed rather than just trying to remember what you were thinking. And it's dangerous because sometimes some of those trades do work. And so therefore they call it in one of the books I read faulty learning, right? I mean, things work and don't work all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was the right bet to make, so to speak. Right. Um, but over time that will play out. So here, this is a whatever breakout trade that I did. Okay. It worked great. But how many of those breakout trades and over time did those breakout trades actually work? That's the important thing to know, right? This has all got to be about over time. You know, are you going to make money over time? Anybody can make money on any certain trade doing anything. Flip a coin, heads, I'm going to go long, okay? You can make money doing that sometimes, right? Um, but the whole process has to be over time what works, and again, just because it works overtime doesn't mean it works all the time. Less than half of my trades actually make profits. But over time, my process makes money because my winning trades more than pay for my losing trades. In the guide that you have about contrarian trading, you write that contrarian trading does not mean counter trend following trading. Could you explain what you mean by that? So for me, um, I am not being contrarian price, all right? I don't look at it like, hey, this thing's gone up a lot, therefore it's a short, or this thing's gone down a lot, therefore it's a buy. That will get you run over as a contrarian. And contrarians get run over, and they get run over for that exact reason. We have the perfect example today. Every sort of price contrarian I know has been trying to short NVIDIA all year, right? And they have gotten destroyed. They were getting killed. 
up until today. And now today they have just gotten decimated, right? Because they are being contrarian price and that will kill you over time. Um, I try to be contrarian participation, right? Um, and that is because that's how I see the discounting mechanism in the market to me is not price, it's participation. So it's not, hey, let's short this thing because it's gone up so much. It's let's short this thing because everybody in the world is long already. That's how I try to do it. That makes sense. And how do you measure how everyone is, is long already? So there's a few ways. The main way I do it as a futures trader is I use the commitment of traders reports, which shows positioning in the futures markets. Um, and on top of that, I am paying attention to people on TV, you know, CNBC or Bloomberg or, and all these analysts that are coming on. And as you, I kind of have it on in the background and I hear it and you start to hear people saying the same thing. I mean, I've had many days where I'll have Bloomberg on for eight hours and 30 analysts will come on and 29 of them will say the same exact thing, right? So if you're hearing that and that's matching up with the positioning and that's matching up with what you're hearing elsewhere, right? Then you can start to build what the contrarian idea is. Right. And yeah, you, you probably watch more CNBC than I do, but I think uh, institutional folks have been quite bearish. And it's worth noting, you know, no one gets a job as an analyst by being a perma bear, right? You have to be somewhat constructive some of the time. So if everyone's bearish, that really is uh, remarkable to note. And a lot of people who on CNBC have been bearish, and yet the market has gone up. And you, one of the few people who've been bullish, uh, at least on my uh, Twitter timeline. So you've kind of you know nailed, let's say, the past uh, uh, six months, perhaps more so. What, how would you characterize the bearishness that you know in your eyes fuels the rally that we've seen since uh, October? And uh, I guess you can split it into two things: so the talking heads, CNBC and Bloomberg, and then also the actual positioning position data from the, the uh, COT, TFF stuff like that. They both they've matched up. They've matched up perfectly all year. This has been sort of a, a really sweet spot trade for me being long stocks. And, and stocks is only one of many assets that I trade. I have had the stocks right this year and that's wonderful. Um, but yes, it, it's lined up all year. You know, uh, people have everybody that comes on TV and, and I get it. You know, I'll sit here and make the most bearish argument to you that anyone in the world will ever make. Okay. I'll argue right now that the S&P is going to 200. Okay, I can make that argument right now, and I can do it in, in a very clear way. Okay, S P S P five hundred to two thousand, or S P Y to two hundred, or S and P five hundred to two hundred. S and P five hundred. I can make the argument that it's going to two hundred. Okay, I can be more bearish than anybody in the world. I get it. Okay, I get the bearish argument. All right, but again, if the market is a discounting process and it's being discounted by participation, then if everybody gets the bearish argument, and therefore everybody is short already then how the hell is the market going to go up, going to go down, right? I still personally believe the market is, I'm still long the S&P, okay? I personally think it's going to get crushed. But first, these people need to get squeezed out, which is what we're in the process of doing, right? They need to get squeezed out, and then they need to start to develop the idea that they were wrong, and now you can be bullish. Well, why can you be bullish? Well, whatever the reason is, because NVIDIA is proving that AI is taking over the world and all that, right? Or the Fed is going to blah, 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 and the economy is going to blah, 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 right? And 
So they need to convince themselves that they need to get out of these shorts. The markets will get them out of the shorts anyway if it keeps going up because eventually their P&L will dictate that they have to get out of shorts, right? Um, so that's one way. But then if they can actually start to develop reasons to get bullish, well, then uh, it'll be time to go the other way, right? And I am consistently watching and listening for, for those. And you start to hear it now, you know. You're starting, just starting to hear it now as the market has ripped their shorts, they now have to justify, you know, it's all about justification, right? All, all this analysis, it's complete and utter bullshit, okay? But it's all about justification. And, you know, the whole bearish side too is like, and I we caught the short side last year, all right? We were getting short in November and December of 21, right? And the market went down. And then, you know, I covered or whatever. And it was just the first half of the year I was short. And the rest of the year I was kind of flat. And then sort of late in the year I started getting long. But it's just like I talked about what I went through. They missed. If I was short, then that means people were long. That's all it means, right? It means people were too long. So they missed the move down, right? Because you were what motivated you to be short was the excessive long positions. That's the only thing that gets me short, okay? Um, so... It means they were long, so they missed the move down, right? So now they it's just like I did when I first started trading, like we talked about. I missed the move down, but then I got it. Okay, okay, now let's start shorting. They're doing the same thing. Now let's start shorting, and now they're going to miss the bottom, and, and, and then at some point they'll, they'll, they'll start getting long again, and the market will start going down again. But that's really what it is, you know? Um, the whole idea of, of, of their analysis and all that, to me is it's such trash. I, I, I believe the markets don't move on that, right? I, I don't even, the markets don't move on fundamentals other than over very long periods of time. It moves on positioning, right? Um, if you take the most extreme example, which could never happen, but I do this on a relative basis, but the most extreme example would be every single person in the world had every single dollar that they have invested in one asset. Well, how could that asset ever go up because there's no more money to go into it, right? The positioning is so extreme. It, they could come out with the most bullish news in the world. They're taking over the entire planet, okay? And it's still not going to go up because everybody's already got all their money in it. So what, what more money could go in it? So clearly that could never happen, but on a relative basis, that's what I'm looking for. Okay. So that has a very interesting you say that. I'm just making a, a note about a question to ask you later. But let's look at this futures data, commitment of traders, uh, COT data that you look at. And, you know, Jason, I am pretty much a complete novice when looking at this. And mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot, uh, you know, some of some viewers, listeners will be in a similar position to me of, you know, really needing you to break this down for us. So we're going to put on chart right now, uh, a chart from your crowded market report. Mm -hmm. What are the red bars? What are the blue bars? What are the yellow bars? And yeah, can you explain the difference between speculators and commercials and then large and small speculators? Okay. And I'll also note that, you know, I do videos on YouTube every week and we get this question a lot. So I have done a video on YouTube about this specific thing. Um, and, and those are obviously all free and all that. But in general, when you open up a futures account, you have to declare yourself if you are a commercial trader, which means you're a farmer and you're hedging, you know, your wheat production or you're a gold miner and you're hedging your gold production or right. You get to put up less margin. So you want to declare yourself as a commercial trader, right? 
So that's what the red bars are. Those are the commercial traders, right? And then everybody else gets thrown into being a speculator. Now, if you are a speculator and you have, there's a limit in each market. I don't know what they are offhand, but let's just say, since we're looking at S&P, 500 S&P contracts. If you have 500 or more S&P contracts, you are declared to be a large speculator, which is the blue line, right? Because the, you have to declare when you go above those numbers, hey, I'm above those numbers. And this is sort of the CFTC's way of trying to avoid having people uh, corner a market, right? Um, and everybody else, me, you, everybody else that doesn't have 500 S&Ps on, that has two S&Ps on or whatever, is the yellow, which are small speculators. So those are the three groups there. And the way I look at it is the commercials are hedging, right? So there should be a cost to hedging, right? Hedging's not free. There's a cost to it. Okay, you're hedging your production, but you know, you're giving up something to do that. Um, so commercials should not make money. And therefore, the speculators will make money off of that. Um, given that they're opposite the commercials. And that to me is trend following. If that weren't the case, then speculators would never be in the market. So there would be nobody for the commercials to hedge to, right? So that's trend following and trend following over time makes money. But at the extremes, when speculators are so loaded into a trade, that's when markets turn. And that's where I operate, right? Um, it's kind of at those market turns. So like you can see here, if you go back to the fall, sure, the blue line was short. So speculators were short, but the market kept going down because that was trend following getting paid. But then it started to get very extreme. And that's where I'm looking to go the other way. I hope that makes sense. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, let's put on another chart which actually uh, can, can show this in some detail. So red is commercials who produce the underlying and speculators are blue or yellow. Large are in blue, uh, uh, small are in yellow. So if you produce the underlying commodity, it makes sense that you will always be short. If you're a gold miner, you are never going to be long, you know, buy gold futures. You're going to be shorting gold futures. It is uh, extremely rare, not impossible, but extremely rare to see that red line go positive. So this makes a good point. Um, why am I short gold? Because I'm looking for extremes. And if you're to eyeball this chart, you could say, well, this was much more extreme back in March of 2022 than it is now. So why am I, why am I shorting it now? Right? So what you have to do and gold, it's good that you brought this up because it's the perfect example. You take this data and you have to index it, right? So I index it. And when you're indexing it, you have to pick a length that you're indexing it for. Like an RSI, for example, which most people are familiar with, is an index, right? So you're looking at, indicator. Right. So you're looking at 14-day RSI, 60-day RSI, 250-day RSI. Which one are you going to pick, right? So I had to pick one, right? And for gold, um, it's like six to eight months, all right? So you can see that starting a few weeks ago, these commercials, the red guys were the most short that they were in six to eight months. So my index will then show, hey, that's maximum short for them. So I'm looking to get short. And so which is, who do you want to follow? Who do you want to fade? If commercials are short, speculators by definition will be long. And that's the thing. Um, the, uh, I'm fading the large speculators at the extremes. 
So you fade the blue line at the extremes and the blue line plus the yellow line will always equal the red line. So it always sums to zero. Large plus small speculators equals uh, Correct. the negative. Now up. I need all three to be at extremes. You'll find times when the commercials are super short, the large traders are super long, but the small speculators are also short. I avoid that. And people are like, well, the small speculators are such a small part of it. You know, why is that? It just is what it is. You know, I, when you test these individual people, these individual members, small speculators, by definition, are the worst traders there are. So I never want to be on the same side of them, right? And I, I think a good example of that one recently, and you could probably pull it up, I don't know, but is the two, like the bonds and the two-year notes where you have some of the most ridiculous sizing in two-year notes right now by large speculators. They're, they're so short and commercials are so long. So you would think, well, maybe it's time to get long the two-year notes. But the truth is the small speculators are also long. So I don't want to get long, right? Um, right. So this is, we've got the, uh, this is, I think, your index from, from credit right. market. Right. So you look at the two-year notes, commercial super long. Um, yep. Large speculators super short. Yeah. Right? So you're thinking, okay, buy two-year notes. But you see the small speculators are also super long. So this has kept me out of getting into that trade, which has been to this point fortunate because two-year notes keep going down. Um, it, it, this is all about, you know, the commitment of traders is not some kind of magical thing, all right? It doesn't work all the time, first of all, which is why you have to get into risk management and trade management and all that. But A, it doesn't work all the time. Um, but B, what I find is what it does best is keep you out of trouble, if nothing else, right? So here the small speculators are keeping me out of trouble. Right. I'd love to buy two year notes, but small speculators are too long. So I'm just staying away, you know, and I trade 37 markets and each one of them moves every single day. Right. And I'm usually in maybe two or three, maybe four. I think right now I have one, two, three, four trades on. OK, which means I have 33 markets that I have no trade on. And you know what? They're moving every day up or down. So I could be making money long or short and all these different things. But that's irrelevant to me. Right. I'm focused just on the ones that give me what I have found to be the best risk reward over time for my portfolio. That's it. The rest of it is all just noise to me. Sorry to interrupt. Wanted to let you know about BlockWorks upcoming crypto event, Permissionless 2. This ultimate DeFi gathering will be taking place in Austin on the 11th to the 13th of September, 2023. It will feature the very best discussions on ZK tech, rollups, account abstraction, MEV, and much, much more. All the big hitters in crypto are going to be there. So if you're into crypto, you need to be there too. To get a 20% discount to a full three-day pass to Permissionless 2, click the link in the description and use code GUIDANCE20. That's GUIDANCE20. Thanks. Let's get back to the episode. I've got a question about, I, I guess the only way I can use it is um, like sort of the, the, the basis trading and the ways you can get long. Like if I want to be long stocks, the long S&P 500, I could do the very time intensive way and you know save on the ETF fees and just buy literally every single stock. I'm oh, 6% Apple, 5% Microsoft, you know, it takes a lot of time. I can buy SPY, I can buy uh, pro uh, proxies, you know, there are other ones VOO, I think perhaps has a, you know, lower by, by tiny bit expense ratio. Uh or I could be long the futures, S&P 500 futures. Uh you know, 80s and 90s as really these, you know, futures trades got very sophisticated, got 
uh, a lot of, uh, bigger. Is it correct that the commitment of traders only looks at the latter, only looks at the futures? Only looks at the futures. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So if someone could uh, be shorting S the SP500 futures, but they're long SPY uh, and they're profiting from the arbitragers or something like that. But there won't be an arbitrage. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. that, that, that it would never happen because you've got 80 million, 80 trillion dollars in investment banks that would close that arbitrage in one second. So there, there would never be that arbitrage. Okay. So, yeah. So, how co confident are you that what you're seeing here, of course, sort of is the market? You know, because future it is are, a it is a subset of the market. And it's a good question because one thing that I've gotten. Um, when I used to raise money and I used to talk to allocators, right? And we would talk about this and they would say to me, yeah, but like with currencies, for example, the futures market is such a small part of the global currency market that, that how could that be giving you any information? And my somewhat obnoxious answer um, was, you know what? Currencies have offered me one of the top, have been one of the top markets for me using the commitments of traders. So that's all I care about. Does it make me money, right? You want me to try and explain to you why that is? I can come up with a million, I can come up with, with reasons, but the bottom line is it works. Or But, you know, it, 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 it's a sample is really what it is, right? It, it's a sample. And people are like, oh, well, you're saying that people are, for example, not now, but at other times, you're saying people are, are super short, you know, stocks. Actually, yes, now. But, but we know they're long stocks, right? So they're just using the futures to hedge. I'm like, okay, but if you're long stocks and you're hedged by being short futures, then are you really long stocks? Like, I, I never understood that question, right? You're not. I own a million dollars worth of stocks and I'm short a million dollars worth of S&P futures. I am not long stocks. I'm sorry, right? So I, I hope that kind of answers the question, but it, it's a sample, you know? Right. And I, maybe even this, I don't, I don't know, but in the stock world, futures are a larger percentage of, you know, than in the interest rate world where it's a lot of like over the counter derivatives that aren't cleared. Again, that, 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 that's absolutely true. And even in the stock world, the uh, futures have got to be a very small, I don't know the number, but a very small percentage compared to the overall amount of equities that are out there. Right. But it's a sample. You know, just like any other sample, right? Um, you do statistics, right? I don't know. You need 30 observations or whatever it is, right? It, it, it's a sample. Right. It's, it's a sample. And, and then what about the argument, and this is the, the note I took earlier, that all stocks are owned all the time. The, you know, the S&P 500 is always 100% owned. If there's, you know, 5 million issue shares of a particular stock, that is always 100% owned all the time. Yes, you know, 5% of the float may be short and those are, you know, hypothecated by, from people who are long the stock who are lending it, uh, but everything's always owned all the time. That's true. But I don't know what that has to do with this. Again, if you, it's owned all the time, but now they're massively short futures against it. So but the commercials are long against it. So it, it always nets to, to zero. It always nets to zero. That's correct. Right. Okay. So, so in the, uh, that's why I wanted to go to gold because it's pretty, um, you know, intuitively clear. I'm a producer. I produce gold, so I'm hedging it and I'm shilling it. And you're a speculator. You're taking other, the other side. What about S and P 500 contracts? Who produces those contracts? And yeah, I wish I, I, wish I'm gonna, I could have a better answer for you on this one. I get this question all the time. Who are the commercials on the S and P? 
I really can't sit here and list to you who they are, but you just have to ask yourself who would be able to say they are hedging their production. You know, so it would be an investment bank. It would be maybe a mutual fund. Maybe it would be a commercial, right? Somebody like that. Um, I assume would be a commercial. Anybody who is not me or you, a speculator, anybody who is not a hedge fund or a CTA or somebody like that, those are all speculators. So investment banks, I would assume, possibly mutual funds, I would assume, are, are, are commercials. And so let's say you have a scenario like we, ha we have now where um, let's see, speculators are short the S&P 500, commercials are long the S&P 500. What is it about the commercials where you want to go with them and you want to fade the speculators? Why are the commercials right and the speculators wrong? At extremes. I think it comes down to this. Um, the majority of people that get into trading lose money. Can we agree with that? Yes, 100%. We would put the number at what, 95%? Yeah. All right. So let's say 95% of people that speculate in the markets lose money. So why don't we just figure out what those 95% are doing and do the opposite and make the money that they're losing? That's really, at the core of it, all I am doing, right? I am not trying to be smart. I am not trying to be smarter than the market because I'm not, and nobody is, right? I've tried in the past to do that, and all it got me was losing money, okay? All I want to do is make money. So if I know you, and I've watched you for five years, and you've put on 300 trades in those five years, and you lost on 295 of them, and you've lost 90% of your money, then why would I need to do anything else ever than just go opposite of what you're doing? In particular, if you're not changing what you're doing, if you're still doing the same thing, thinking it's going to work, right? Then why would I need to do anything else except take the opposite trade of, of you, right? Um, it's like if I could get on the same side as one of the people who wins, if Stanley Druckenmiller emailed me his trades live time every day, then certainly I would want to take the same side as that, right? But Stanley Druckenmiller doesn't do that. And nobody does that, right? But the people that do do it are the people that lose. They're on TV all the time, yakking and yakking and yakking and showing and this and that and the other thing, right? And they show up, fortunately, on the commitments of traders as well, right? So that's really all I'm trying to do. All this other stuff about who is a commercial and who is this and why and that and why and that. I'm sure we can dig up and get some great answers to some of those things. But the truth is, my, my main answer usually is because it works. That's it. I'm just trying to make money. I'm not trying to write a book. I'm not trying to make an intellectual argument, right? I'm not trying to change financial theory. I'm saying if 95% of people who speculate in the markets are going to lose money over time, then I want to be opposite those 95% and I want to make the money they're going to lose. It's that simple. Like, I, so let's look at the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ futures. S&P 500, a lot less changes I'm noticing than the NASDAQ, which we'll show, show in a second. So where on this chart uh, did you start to become quite bullish? And what would have to happen for you to stop being bullish? For me to stop being bullish, my again, I index this data. When that index goes to neutral, which would be a 50 reading, you know, the index obviously goes from zero to 100. 
When that index goes to a 50 reading, I get out. Not because it doesn't mean the market can't keep going up, but because that's my edge. They're super short. I get long. They're no longer super short. I get out. That's what I was trying to capture, right? And also, as an aside, that's my job, okay? I manage a, a, a CTA. Institutions give me money. Most of these institutions are fund of funds and fund of funds of CTAs, which means they have a lot of trend followers in their portfolio. So the trend followers get hurt at the turns. I make money at the turns. So they're getting a diversified portfolio or I'll make money where those guys are losing. Then once this sort of goes neutral, I'm out. And that's where the trend followers are getting long. And that's their trade. That's their job. You know, my job is this, their job is that I'm just doing my job, right? Which is catching the turn and, you know, and that. So it's a combination of those two things. One, it's my job. And two, the edge is gone. So like if you look at the NASDAQ, for example, yeah, you know, the NASDAQ is what I got long first earlier in the year, right? This, this is currently, but so you can see there, right? You see starting in about late January where the red started to really poke up a lot. Yep. That's where I started getting long NASDAQ. All right. And then as it came off into like, you know, sort of late March, they're now neutral. So I'm out of my NASDAQ. But what ended up happening is they ended up sort of buying NASDAQ and selling S&P, right? So then I started getting long S&P. Now, you can look at this and be like, oh, well, but Jason, the, the NASDAQ has been outperforming even since this has happened. And that's absolutely true, okay? There's no, I wish that I had stayed long now. I don't wish, but it would have been better to have stayed long NASDAQ here because NASDAQ has continued to outperform the S&P. But so what? To me, the risk reward was S&P because that's where they were more short. So that, and just because you see the, the speculators have gotten long here and the NASDAQ has continued up, correct, okay? But that's not my trade. That's the trend follower trade from here, right? When they get super long, which for all I know could be this week, that's when I will be looking to get short, but not until then. And they have a while to go before that blue line goes up to extremes and that red line goes down to extremes. And if you look, the yellow line, the small speculators are still short NASDAQ. So all those things are going to have to flip and go to extremes for me to, to start thinking about getting short NASDAQ. Got it. Uh, Jason, the, um, and don't get me wrong. I can't wait. You're a CTA commodity trading advisor. I don't, I don't really know a lot about that, but is it fair to say that a lot of CTAs were the blue bar, were the large speculators, yes. and they were following the short equities trade. And that's why a lot of CTAs have not performed that well that year, this year, right? Yes, they are the blue bar. They are trend followers. Most CTAs are trend followers. Um, so they were short coming into the year because the trend was down and then you know, it takes them a while before they can declare that the trend is up. Now they're probably long, uh, certainly NASDAQ at this point, which is why we're seeing that blue bar start to show long NASDAQ. Now you have to keep in mind, trend followers do make money over time, right? Um, which is why like right now, if they're long NASDAQ, they're making money in NASDAQ, right? But they will lose, in my view, at the extremes. Um, where I think they lost a big part of their money this year was in fixed income. And I don't know if you can pull up the fixed income chart off of that stuff, but you can see very clearly on the COT where they got railed in fixed income. And in March, the CTAs lost an exorbitant amount of money for them, you know, 10, 12% for some of these big CTAs, which is just a huge month for them. Um, and it was mostly in the fixed income trade. They were short fixed income. 
And uh, it showed up on the commitment of traders as, as such that people were massively short fixed income. And therefore I was getting long. Um, and, you know, you had the banking crisis or whatever and, and fixed income had like a four or five day or eight day just absolute rip up. And, uh, and CTAs got railed and that's why they are having a, a bad year this year for the most part. And I'm just, I don't know this, but I'm just going to guess because the volatility was so extreme, they turned down their positions and then the short fixed income trade has actually worked like over the past you know, Correct. Month, month or so. It was all, and this is what I say, it was all a question of positioning. That's it. And that's what these things to me almost always are, right? Because now fixed income going right back to where it came from, right? But because they were so short, and people are like, oh, well, you couldn't have known the banking crisis and all that. And I'm like, well, you couldn't have known if the, if the market was going to do this if there was no banking crisis because you don't know. Neither one of us know that, right? Um, but all you need is that little trigger, though, right? And when everybody's so short and boom, you know? And, and, I, and I say this to people, too, about looking at the commitment of traders. And one of my videos, I get into this. I don't necessarily encourage people to trade like I do, Okay. Um, I trade my way, you trade your way. You're, you're not going to make money trading my way and I'm not going to make money trading your way, right? But let's say you're a trend follower and you saw this on the Commitments of Traders report in March. You could have at least been like, you know something? Maybe I should reduce my, my shorts and bonds here because people are so massively short that there's the potential for something bad to happen here, right? Um, it would have helped. Right. I'm not saying you had to get long, you know, but you could have gotten out of your shorts knowing that this is when bad things happen, you know, when, when people are so crowded to one side. You know, a, a perfect example, and I've talked about this many times and I don't want to bore people, but long term capital management blew out because they had the euro convergence trade on, right? The interest rate convergence trade because the euro currency was going to come into being. And if the euro currency came into being, all the interest rates across Europe had to converge to be the same, right? So at the time, before the euro came into being, I'm making up numbers, but you know, Italian rates were whatever, 10% and Spanish rates were 3%. So you could sell that 10 by the three. And if they all adopted the euros, those were going to converge. Mathematically- You used a back test that said, oh, you can leverage this 50 times and you'll be fine. Well, it was a mathematical fact. Yeah. Okay. It had to happen. Mathematically, it had to happen. So if you have a mathematical fact, as long as you believe the euro is going to come into being, right, then it's a mathematical fact. So why not leverage it a million times? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we found out why you don't leverage it a million times because something else happened. This Russian thing happened. They had to get out of something to cover their, their margin call on the Russian thing. They had to get out of the European things. And because it was so crowded, there was nobody to take the other side. So they all blew out. Long-term capital management blew out. Solomon Brothers doesn't exist anymore. Solomon Brothers was one of the most famous investment banks in the world. Doesn't exist anymore because of that whole trade. And you know what? The trade was 100% right. If you held that trade to maturity, the euro came into being, the interest rates did converge, and you made a shitload of money. But you know what? Because of leverage and because of positioning, you were forced out of it. And there's another similar one. I think it was 2015, late 2015. Something happened with the Swiss franc. And I, oh. I remember this because I had this trade on, right? Because there was massive shorts in the Swiss franc. And over a weekend or something, the Swiss bank came out and said, we are unpegging from the euro. And the Swiss franc went up like 
some, it, it was the biggest month that I have ever had um, trading. Well, at least trading professionally um, and trading under normal leverage amounts, right? But <laughs> biggest month I ever had um, because the Swiss franc went up something like 20 points in two days. People blew out, you know, there was a few firms that blew out, went out of business. And if you look at the chart, within two months, the Swiss franc came right back down to where it was when it started. So the whole news event meant nothing in the end. Fundament the fundamental event meant nothing, okay? But the positioning meant everything. People were mega short, the thing went up, and suddenly they all got squeezed and boom. And then once they got out of it, the thing went right back down to where it came from. All positioning. Hey there, sorry to interrupt. A lot of Forward Guidance listeners are not into crypto. If that's you, please skip ahead, get back to the interview. Some Forward Guidance listeners are into crypto, some own crypto, a smaller percentage owning lots of crypto, and a much smaller percentage work at crypto hedge funds. If you're in those latter two categories, BlockWorks Research might be a good fit for you. BlockWorks Research is a research and data platform that analyzes governance, tokenomics, and models of interesting crypto projects, including new protocols. There's a lot of edge that can be gained from reading these reports. You can check out a sample report at www.blockworksresearch.com research and hit the free report toggle. If that is of interest, full subscriptions can be purchased at www.blockworksresearch.com slash sign dash up. You can also get 10% off using the discount code guidance10. Thanks, and let's get back to the interview. And I see what you mean about the turning point because speculators were short fixed income, two-year notes, five-year notes, 10-year notes for throughout much of 2022, and they were right. So fading the speculators doesn't always work, it, 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 but you're saying it works best when it's at an extreme. And right now it is at an extreme. Well, except the small speculators are not right now in the fixed income. They were in March. They're not anymore, which is keeping me from, from looking at getting long fixed income. Now, there's another level to this, okay? Because I always say to, to the people like on my Discord and the people that, that are, get my newsletter, the commitments of traders is not enough to make a trade, okay? And I would argue no matter how you're trading, no matter what your style of trading is, you need the market to confirm what you want to do first. That is such an important aspect to trading and including the trading that I do. So, How so? What do you mean confirm? So, well, everybody has to define what confirm means. What it means for me, because I'm a turn picker, right, um, is, okay, so commitments of traders are saying everybody's short. I'm looking to get long, all right? But I know commitments of traders isn't perfect, so I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for the market to confirm that. So what I mean by confirm is the perfect example was the low in stocks in October. What you had at the low in stocks in October, right? I call it news failure. Mm -hmm. um, what you had at the low in stocks in October was CPI came out. And this was the main focus, obviously, and still kind of is, but certainly last year was the main focus of what was going on in stocks, right? People were getting super bearish stocks because inflation was not going away and the Fed was going to have to keep raising rates and yada, yada, right? So in October, you had the CPI come out higher than expected. It was the highest CPI of the year. More importantly, higher than was even expected, right? And the stock market, of course, went down on that news that day and ended up closing up that day. That to me is news failure, right? 
It gave the bears every reason that they wanted for the market to go down and the market didn't go down. And why is, why is that to me? It's because everybody's already short. Okay. But I wait until I get that news failure. Right. And then that's when I will get long because that is the market now confirming that it's time to go. Right. And you, um, so a bearish news item that fails to sink the stock market, that's a failure for the bears. In the same way, a great news item and the stock market goes down, that's a failure for the bulls. So it's those, uh, those, that's news failure. That's really interesting. And so, yeah, Jason, what do you, what do you think now? I mean, what would have to happen for you to turn, uh, bearish and also, or even neutral? And also, what is it? Why is everyone, so long the Nasdaq, but then short the S and P five hundred. That seems like a, you know, a basis trade. It's not that big. The difference between the Nasdaq and the S and P five hundred. It's like you know, Apple's eleven percent instead of seven percent. It's 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 different. But if you look at the correlations, uh, they're pretty similar, right? The correlation's similar. The return certainly this year has not been similar. The Nasdaq's up like whatever the number is, thirty percent, and S and P's up like eight. But They've chased it. I mean, look, they've chased it. Uh, clearly, a trend follower doesn't necessarily have to be long the S&P here, but a trend follower has to be long the NASDAQ here, right? There ain't no trend following system that ain't long the NASDAQ here, right? So they've chased it from the trend following point of view. Um, and I think from a fundamental point of view, people have been so short and underperforming in the hedge fund world, in the long short equity world and all that, that they've probably had to chase the high beta stocks to try and make up here is my guess. I, I'm making that up. I don't know. But that, that would be my guess as to why those people are starting to get long NASDAQ. I mean, people chase what's working. That, that's just natural, right? And that NASDAQ is working. So they're chasing that one higher. Right. So NASDAQ doesn't have the energy to companies, doesn't have the materials companies, the real estate communication, or, uh, you know, it's it's really big cap tech and Apple has been performing incredibly well. NVIDIA, ridiculously well, uh, you know, 25% uh, relative to the past day. We're recording on uh, May 25th. So, the, okay, NASDAQ has been outperforming the S&P 500. So are you short? Are you, are you bearish to NASDAQ because everyone is so bullish? No, I don't think that they're so bullish. They're getting bullish. But when they are so bullish, then I will start to get bearish. Yeah. Okay. I think we're, I think we're getting close, but for me, we're not there yet. The small speculators are still short NASDAQ. That's why. And the large speculators aren't maximum long. And, and again, the market can go down from here. It's just going down without me. Yeah. You know I mean? Like I trade a certain thing and I, I stay very disciplined to that certain thing and I miss moves all the time okay I, whatever's going on in you know some other market today soybeans or whatever i am not a part of right because i am not in soybeans right now there are times when i am in soybeans but it's not now right so it can go down but it's going down without me so what's your highest conviction trade now short gold a long s p short gold is my highest conviction trade right really? now. and and that, those are just for COT reasons. All of my trades are exactly the same. The COT shows extremes. The market fails on news that should have made it go. I go the other way. That's what every single one of my boring trades looks like. Got it. It yeah. gets back to neutral. I get out. Or if I get short, it takes out the new high. I get stopped. You know, I'm picking a turn. So... By definition, if I short something and it makes a new high, then I didn't pick the turn, did I? So I'm wrong. I get out. I think that's another important concept for people to have when they're trading. Not only 
I want to be long this. I should wait for the market to confirm it first. But where is my theory wrong, right? Whatever it is, because then I have to get out. You know, my theory is this thing's breaking out. Okay, well, where is that breakout failed? Because then you got to get out. You know, more important to any of this crap is, is that risk management is what this game really is about. People want to believe that it's about, I can predict whether a market's going to go up or down, right? I'm here to tell you, you can't um, over time. And neither can I, and neither can George Soros, and neither can Stanley Druckenmiller. And, and Stanley Druckenmiller is the first one to admit it. One of my favorite quotes of all time, Stanley Druckenmiller is probably, arguably, the greatest trader alive, okay? If he's not, he's certainly pretty damn close, right? I would argue he is, but... He has quotes where he says, I am wrong way too much to count on being right to make money. I had to figure out another way to make money other than being right and wrong. And I have a client who, who has had money would, would, would stand for, for many, many years. And he tells me, the guy writes up these monthly reports and stuff, and he said he's a beautiful writer, and he makes these incredible arguments, and they're wrong 80% of the time. He's like, if you were to read it and you would say Stanley Druckenmiller is writing this and it's so well written and he's so smart, you would follow every single thing that he did. He's like, but it's wrong 80% of the time. But he still makes money because that's what he's trying to do. He's not trying to be right. He's not trying to predict the future. He's just trying to make money. By having a tight stop loss and then when the trade works, you let it run? Is that? That's certainly one way to do it, yes. Is that how you do it? That's how I try to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's what my, my trades are right less than 40% of the time, somewhere between 35 and 40% of the time, my trades work, um, which means I lose over 60% of the time, but my payout is like four to one. So I'll make four, I'll lose one. So make four, lose one, make four, lose one, make four, 35% of the time, lose one, 65% of the time. Do that over time, let time pass, and you're going to end up with positive returns. How tight do you run stops? So it's pretty tight because I'm getting, like you take that S&P, for example, trade in October at the low, my stop would have been the low of that day. Mm -hmm. So I know how much I'm trying to risk per trade, which in my case is 70 basis points of trade. I know my entry. I know my stop. Therefore, I size my trade so that if I'm stopped, I lose 70 basis points. And I, I use 70 basis points just because that gets me to my, my vol target, which is around a seven. Um, other people have higher vol targets than that, so they can risk more per trade, but that's how I do it. Got so it. I'm basically risking one day's worth of volatility. Jason, what do you make about the bank stocks? I, I don't think there's futures on a, a bank ETF, but you know, the individual bank stocks, they've been moving up all day. How, how much, you know, trading, pay attention, do you pay attention to individual stocks? And then, yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you make about the bank stocks? Do you see any opportunities there? I'm not an equity trader. Mm -hmm. um, You're a futures trader. Yeah, I don't really know what, what the position in the bank stocks is. I personally would not be long bank stocks, but that doesn't mean that they can't go up. Um it's been dead money for a very, very, very long time. I, I think Citibank is probably trading at the same place it was, you know, 18 years ago or something, you know. Um, it's not where I would be, but I, I, I'm not 
informed enough or, or smart enough to, to really understand w w what's going on with these regional banks. Um, I do have a friend, a very good friend of mine who's a, a mortgage broker and has been for 30 years and he's all into it. And he tells me, I talk to him every weekend. He tells me every weekend the whole story and the whole problem and then this and that and the other thing. And it doesn't sound very good to me, <laughs> but I, I don't trade them and nor, nor would I trade them. Got it. So what are you seeing in, in the markets other than stocks and bonds? I mean, yeah, let's oil, copper. I, I guess you said you're, uh, you're long the dollar, you're short the euro. Yes. Short the okay. euro. Why is that? You tell me. <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to find the chart here, but, uh, look at the euro though. Commercial index zero. That means the commercials are short as they could be. Right. Blue and line, large along. speculators, as long as they can be. Small speculators, just about as long as they can be. All right. And we had that going in. I got short the year about three weeks ago. Going into the ECB meeting, which was more hawkish than people expected. Lagarde came out and was more hawkish than people expected. Which should be bullish for the euro. Which should be bullish for the euro. And it closed down that day. And that's where I got short. And if it had taken out that day's high, or if it still does take out that day's high, I will get stopped. Otherwise, I will ride that euro short until this data goes back to 50. One of those three things goes back to 50, which is neutral. And there I will take my profit, hopefully. Got it. That that makes sense. All right. So in your uh, crowded market report, you, you write that you're not ignorant of underlying conditions in the world or the market in that you, d you don't disagree with the following points. An economy on the brink of a major slowdown, a banking situation that could continue to get much uglier, government running up deficits with no one in sight, uh, the, the debt ceiling, Federal Reserve paid into a corner, um, societal political breakdown. So all of these points are you know, medium term, long term, perhaps a little somewhat bearish. How do you square that with your short term bullish view on, on the market? And I was being nice when I wrote those things. I could come up with things a hell of a lot worse than that, okay? Because I don't care about that stuff, you know? Especially if everybody can see it. What am I seeing that other people aren't seeing? And therefore, how do you make money? Like, if you don't have an edge, you're not going to make money, right? What's the edge in saying those things right now when every single person comes on TV and says those things? To me, there's no edge there, right? Um, when they give up on those ideas, there will be an edge to those ideas. Okay. But to me, there, there's, there, there's, there's absolutely no edge there. So I'm not saying I, I disagree with that stuff. That's what the point I'm trying to make. I see that stuff just as clearly as everybody else sees that stuff. Right. But I don't care. What I care about is everybody's short. Therefore I'm going to be long. That that's it. And it, does that mean that my thing is going to work? No, I could lose money. I could get stopped. It happens all the time. Right. But it's risk reward. That's all. That, that, that's all this game is to me, and it should be to everybody else too. Risk, reward, right? And I hear people talk about risk reward all the time. Oh, I'm buying this thing, and to me, it's a three to one. Well, three to one based on what? Uh, like you're just making up some number? You know what I mean? Like based on what? So um, you really have to focus on that. This is about you're not going to make money by outthinking the market over time. It's impossible. You, you could be the single smartest person on earth. And Jack, you might be, you went to an Ivy league school. You might be the smartest person on earth for all I know. But what I do know, what I do know 
is you are not smarter than everybody combined because that's impossible, okay? And market price is everybody combined. All these millions of people that are involved in the market and all these trillions and trillions of dollars that are invested in the market, right? Is all of everybody's thought processes combined and you are not smarter than that. Nobody is, it's impossible. Einstein, whoever you want it to be, is not smarter than that, than everyone combined. So you're not going to make money playing the game of I'm smarter, right? I know that the economy is gonna be shit, therefore I'm gonna be short. It's ridiculous. Okay. And it's, it's just, it's bad. And I've been there. Okay. So I know how ridiculous it is because I was ridiculous as well. And at a certain point I decided I would rather start to make money than try to prove that I'm smart. Right. I'll prove I'm, if I want to prove I'm smart, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do it some other way. You know what I mean? I'll go and read a physics textbook and start doing physics or something. Right. I don't care about that anymore. I just want to make money from my clients that that's it. So that's what you really have to focus on risk reward of a trade and how you're going to decide whether the risk reward is good. Okay. This so, is how I do it. Yeah. Other people have other ways of doing it. So yeah, you said your way works for you. Other people have other ways. When you see other traders, other investors who've had a lot of uh, success and they use a style that's other than yours, what do you find is uh, you know, as well as learning from your own success, how do you learn from other people's success? Because you know, there are a lot of successful investors who are not, uh, you know, contrary looking at the contrarian points as, as you are. Are there? I don't know. Um, trend followers make money over time, but I could never suffer. I don't know if the word is suffer. I, I, I could never live with the return stream that trend followers have. All right, they make money over time, but their sharps are are horrible. I personally couldn't live with that. Um, what lessons from other successful investors? Unfortunately, there aren't a lot of people. Stanley Druckenmiller is not going out there and telling you what, what, what he's doing. George Soros is not going out there and telling you what he's doing. Paul Trudeau, now, they have. Some of these people have, and that's where I learned this stuff. The, the first few Market Wizards books, you had Bruce Kovner, you had Paul Tudor Jones, you, you had some incredibly successful traders and investors in there telling you what they looked at. And the things that I am doing, quite frankly, are the lessons that I learned from those, right? They, they talk about all these things, right? Um, market confirmation, being contrarian right? Not being with consensus, right? Over time, using stop losses, watching your risk management. That's what they talk about because that's what's real, right? And the people that I love to fade the most do the exact opposite of all those things. They, they have all these bad trading habits. And those are the people that I like to fade, right? I wrote a thing. I don't trade individual stocks, but you can see in the report this week, I wrote a whole thing about NVIDIA this week, right? saying, and I think I said, for all I know, NVIDIA is about to go down 80%. But you don't be short NVIDIA here. That's bad trading, man. You know what I mean? Because you think it's overvalued, right? It's bad. Like we're finding out today why NVIDIA has been going up so much. Because they just upped their guidance by some ridiculous amount that nobody would ever have expected, right? Now we know why the stock's been going up so much, right? 
but shorting it just because it's up and just because it's going up a lot and because you're not long, therefore you want to be short because you want to prove to all these guys. You know what I mean? Like it's all bad trading habits and bad trading habits are going to get you in trouble, right? And I've been watching this guy who's on YouTube every day and he's been shorting the video for the last three months, not getting out, adding to his shorts, not getting out, adding to his shorts, stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. These are all bad trading habits. And this is the, what, what's happening to him now is exactly what happens to you over time when you have bad trading habits. So that's really what I've learned from the, the really from the Market Wizards books is really where it came from, right? They, they talk about these things and, and it's right there in front of you. And you're looking for when the narrative, the, con, the apparent consensus, you know, folks on CNBC is matching the positioning because I'll, right now I think oil speculators are not very long. Uh, so that is not at all a bearish signal. However, you are seeing headlines uh, like Barron saying 10 reasons why oil is going to keep going up. So, and I would, I would compare that to bonds in the beginning of 2021, where the, the positioning looked kind of bullish. And people were saying, we're having the biggest uh, bullish, you know, big, biggest commercial uh, short ever. And it's like, yeah, well, how did bonds, perform? they performed well for a little bit. For, for a little bit, but uh, you know, in the long run, not you know, we all know what happened there. So you need to know that as again, COT is not perfect. Sometimes it doesn't work. You need to know that you need market confirmation before you take a COT trade, right? Uh, those two things will keep you out of help keep you out of the things that that don't work, right? Hopefully, keep you out of some of the trades in COT that don't work. Um, certainly, the market confirmation will keep you out, right? The thing runs, it runs, it runs, it runs. They're getting short, they're getting short. They get, you know, there's no limit. I was talking before about if everybody had all their money in one thing, but that's never going to happen. So there's no limit to how much they can get short or how much they can get long. They can keep getting more long, right? They can keep getting more short, right? You need the market confirmation first. And even that doesn't guarantee it's going to work, but it helps. It keeps you out of just buying it just because it's down a lot and you want to get into it. You want to be the wise guy contrarian and get into it, right? Um, it will keep you from doing that, which is a very important part of trying to be contrarian. Mm -hmm. Got it, Jason. So people can find uh, your work on Twitter at crowded underscore MKT underscore RPT, the crowded market report. Why did you start the crowded market report? What did you want to just sort of bring to your your audience? And yeah, what what do you what do you think the the sort of uh, your know, investment education world was missing? <clears throat> That is what I wanted to bring was what the education, what the, what the investment education world is missing. Right. Um, it started because I was in that, the latest Jack Schwager book. Um, and when I was in that, I guess it's a very popular book series as it should be quite frankly. Um, a lot of people started to contact me, um, on, I was never on Twitter or anything like that, but I was on LinkedIn. And I was getting like messages all day on LinkedIn. Hey, I read the book. I read your chapter. I really liked what you were talking about. It really kind of struck a chord with me. W would you be willing to, I had all kinds of offers, you know, I live 30 miles from your house. Can I come make you coffee every day? And I was like, you know, I, I make my own coffee, man. Um, but, you know, can you help me? Can you teach me? Can you mentor me? And, and all that kind of stuff. And um, it kind of struck a chord, A, because I'm coming towards the end of my career. Um, and I had been helped by people. I've been mentored by people. I once met Paul Tudor Jones, um, at a conference when I was a kid, I was probably 24, 25 years old and 
cocky little wise ass kid. And I shook his hand and I said, Hey, Paul, I'm coming after you. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, well, when you succeed, just make sure you give back. That was the only line that Paul Tudor Jones said, right? Which shows you what kind of person he is really. Um, but so it, it just all kind of struck a chord. And I kept saying to these people, look, I, I'd love to help you. Uh, I want to do that, but there's no way that I can do this for 300 people. So how am I going to pick, you know, who, who I'm going to do it with? I don't have the time to mentor 300 people. I have a family, I have a business, you know, I have hobbies, you know. Um, and one of the people said to me, well, why don't I start a web page where you can centralize that whole thing? And I said, well, that'd be good because I do have this newsletter that I write every weekend for myself. And I've been doing that for, God, 20 years. Um, and it wasn't a newsletter when I'm writing it for myself, but it's really just organizing my thoughts to keep me disciplined to my process. Here's what I'm looking at. Here's what I'm thinking where the trades are. Here's what has to happen for the trades to happen, you know. Um, and I did distribute that for a while. I ran a hedge fund and a, a number of my clients were sort of very high net worth hedge fund managers themselves and I was managing some of their money and I used to send that to them and they always liked it a lot too, mostly because it takes a different look and a different approach and, you know, people that are smart, I think, like to look at different things, you know, to see what they're missing, maybe. Um, so they always liked that. So I thought people would like that. So I said, go ahead, start the webpage and we'll distribute this newsletter on it. Sounds good. And he did that. Um, and then he included a discord page, which quite frankly, I didn't know what a discord page was, um, when he did that, but he did include that discord page. Um, and he also built these commitments of traders charts, which are somewhat available on the internet for free. You can get a commitment of traders chart for free on the internet, but he built them very, very well. He made them very interactive and you can change the time periods and you could combine different markets. Instead of just looking at S&P, you can say, what's the entire stock market look like? So you can combine NASDAQ, S&P, Russell, Dow, and look at that COT, right? Which isn't really available anywhere else. So the whole thing ends up incorporating all that. So people like basically get the newsletter and as much as I encourage people not to trade, take my trades because it won't work for you. Okay. I do put my trades on there. Right. And I also put up what's set up. This is what's set up according to commitments to traders. And this is what needs to happen for me to actually put that trade on. And then it kind of flows through into the discord and people start watching that. Okay. This is what needs to happen. So let's keep an eye out for that happening, which has been nice because I don't always get my read right on the news failure type of thing, but now I've got a few hundred people on there with their eyeballs on it too. And we're all watching for sort of a news failure event and discussing whether it was or wasn't and what was expected and, and what was the actual news and all that. So that's been nice too, because we're all kind of working together with it. Um, but the real focus of it is, like I say, as much as I do show my trades and I do talk about my process, the real focus is try to get people to understand how trading really works which like I just spoke about is not about predicting the future. It's about risk management, right? It's about, and that's a lot of work. If someone's working, you know, 70, 80, 60 hours a week in a job that they're doing really well at, like odds are they're not going to have enough time to do the sufficient work to, you know, perform as well as you do in the long run. Right. Is that accurate to say? Yeah. And I say it all the time. If, if you want to treat trading as a hobby, 
because it's fun. It breaks up the boredom and Hey, this and that. by all means treat it as a hobby. Um, I have a few hobbies. I don't make money off of any of them. Okay. They cost me money. I don't know very many hobbies that make people money. So if you want to treat it as a hobby and it's fun and it's exciting and da, 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 okay, then good. But then your expectations better be in line. It's all I'm trying to say, right? Um, this is really meant for people who are looking to actually figure out how to make money over time in the markets, not by copying what Jason Shapiro does, but by hopefully learning the lessons that Jason Shapiro has learned through, you know, 35 years of doing this, you know, which is again, the things that I'm talking about, risk management, risk management, risk management, risk management, risk management. Those are the four things that I've learned. Okay. And there's a few ways to interpret that. And we talk about that a lot, but that's really what I'm trying to focus on. And, and, and the fact that the markets are not as they are presented to you by Jim Cramer or any of the people on TV. I, I think that what those people are talking about personally, I think those people should be put in jail um, because they are selling a story that just isn't true. It's just not how markets work. They, they never talk about the fact that the market is a discounting mechanism. Okay. Which means that anything that you can see has already been seen and it's already in the market, unless you're seeing something that nobody can see. And usually what that's called is insider information. Illegal, yeah. And that's, and that's called illegal and you're going to end up in jail, right? So yeah. that's not worth doing, right? You know, um, which is why you see that these people don't outperform the market over time. And I'm not here to rip on Jim Cramer. He does what he does, you know, and Jim Cramer does well in bull markets because he focuses on sort of the best fundamental stocks and those tend to do well in bull markets. He, named, he literally named his dog NVIDIA. NVIDIA, right. So he's had, the NVIDIA, he's, he's had the NVIDIA thing, right? And that's great. And he gets a lot of stocks right because he sticks with good companies, right? But he also gets a lot of things wrong. And I, I'd be willing to bet you that his portfolio over time does not outperform the market. Yeah, my final question for you, and by, by the way, you've got a YouTube channel, uh, Crowded Market Report by Jason Shapiro. And, and by the way, now that we've done this interview, I think the term crowded market report, crowded market, you know, makes a, that, that means a lot uh, to, to me and hopefully the, the audience as well. So it's well known, you know, 85, 90, 95% of active managers don't beat the S&P 500 index. You talked a lot about the mistakes individual traders can make, you know, small speculators can make, but people who are in the markets who, you know, they have a fund and they're successful in that they have a fund and they still have a fund, but they're, you know, not, they haven't really been beating the market and they're in the vast majority. Why do you think so many active managers whose job it is to beat the market, why do you think that they, they so often don't? Because they're looking at the wrong thing. They're, they're approaching the market the wrong way. And they're all approaching the market the same way. Hey, this company's great. Their earnings are growing. Their revenue is growing. And blah, 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 right? Okay, but if everybody knows that, then isn't that already discounted in the price? Over time. Not every time. It clearly wasn't in NVIDIA. But in NVIDIA, people were not saying that. If you really look back at what people have been saying, they've been saying that NVIDIA is ridiculous. It's overpriced. The revenues are coming down. You know, what jacked NVIDIA today was the fact that they came out and they, you know, they, they came up with some huge number for, you know, for, for their future estimates, right? That nobody had, that nobody thought, right? Um, but I just don't know how you're going to beat the market by doing what everybody else is doing. You know, everybody can see this stuff, especially nowadays. Look, Buffett did it, but there were no computers back then, right? I want to buy a Buffett-type stock. 
I, don't, I could search the internet right now. And in 15 seconds, I could have the 20 best Buffett type stocks, right? How, how, how is that going to beat the market? It's just, it's impossible. It's physically impossible. But you could find some thinly traded stocks where it's, it's not a discounting mechanism because, you know, people, most people aren't paying attention to it. Under covered stocks. Absolutely. Absolutely. But of course, the big fund managers can't do that because there's no liquidity in those stocks for them to do that. But as an individual investor, is that possible? Sure. Undercovered stocks, which is always what amazes me too, that all these people are trying to trade NVIDIA, Tesla, Microsoft. I'm like, where are you getting an edge trading those stocks? These are the most highly traded stocks out there. Where are you going to get an edge doing that? I, I just, I don't know the answer. <laughs> There we go. Well, Jason, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for uh, joining. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Forward Guidance, the program you just enjoyed, hopefully, can be viewed on YouTube at Blockworks Macro or heard as a podcast on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Episodes are typically released on Apple and Spotify a few hours before they air on YouTube. Please leave a review on Apple Podcast if you feel so inclined. Also, you can get 10% off to Permissionless 2023 and BlockWorks Research using code GUIDANCE10. Thanks again and be well.